All right, welcome back to the Ninth Man NBA podcast. It's been a while since we've been able to jump on here and release an episode due to the Christmas and New Year holiday, but we thank you for tuning in. I'm Luke. I'm Alec. And I'm Eric. You guys know this, but we watch, talk, and listen way too much NBA not to jump on here and talk some basketball. On today's episode, we discuss the return of IT, the injury bug biting James Harden, how that affects the MVP race, us three give our New Year's resolution for three teams and a whole lot more. First thing I'd like to discuss on today's podcast is the coveted return of IT. Obviously, talking about Isaiah Thomas. Three specific questions circling around Isaiah Thomas, in our opinion, is what does it mean for Cleveland? Are they officially better than Boston or even Toronto? And could it hurt their chemistry, potentially? Al, what do you think about this? I think that they are definitely the clear-cut favorites in the East, especially when you add Isaiah Thomas back to that team. He's not 100% healthy right now. You know, he'll be on this minutes restriction. But, you know, they gave up Kyrie Irving, and that was a big piece to give up. But then you bring back Isaiah Thomas, the fourth-quarter hero that he was, scored 29 points a game last year. And in addition to that, you throw in Jay Crowder to the mix and this 3-and-D player that now you think they have to match up with inevitably Golden State in the finals. Again, it's just another body you can throw at KD that's not LeBron. I think they're a deeper team. And, yeah, I think they're better than Boston. Toronto, I don't believe in them as a for-real team yet. We've mm-hmm. seen them kind of be fool's gold in the past. So I think you throw Isaiah Thomas back in the mix. He'll get cleaner looks than he ever has. It's going to take some even more weight off of LeBron, and they're going to be a very deep team, and they'll run through the East. Yeah, the only question I have in terms, and I'll throw this into the category of chemistry. I don't know necessarily if it lands in that category, but defensive-wise, it might mess up, not that um, Cleveland is is going to like just all of a sudden struggle on the defensive end because Isaiah Thomas is thrown in there. But but historically, we've seen Isaiah Thomas struggle on the defensive end, and it kind of plagued, if you will, Boston last season in certain situations. Not a, not a lot. I mean, his 30 points per game in December last season, I mean, just unbelievable. And I get that. He averaging up there in the 28-29 range. But his defensive ability, if – uh, Brad Stevens was a defensive mastermind in terms of hiding Isaiah Thomas. Well, you guys probably remember that um, in the playoffs last season. He was always hiding Isaiah Thomas. Chemistry, defense-wise, I reckon, that could maybe take a hit in terms of their defense percentage, their defensive rating. What are they going to do with LeBron in terms of help defense? What are they going to do with the kind of return of Tristan Thompson? So I'm interested to see that with Isaiah Thomas. His scoring, it'll be great. I'm sure he'll get open looks like you kind of talked about, Al. Going with the chemistry piece, I, I think it's going to hurt um, LeBron. LeBron's a very ball-heavy player, and so is Isaiah Thomas. Um, although uh, LeBron's obviously a really good passer, um, they both have to have the ball to be good. And Isaiah Thomas is not the best three-point shooter, um, as we all know. So I, I honestly, I think it's going to hurt their chemistry. See, but the thing with LeBron, you got to remember, yes, he's a very ball-dominant player, but he's also probably the most unselfish superstar in NBA history. Everybody remembers the fourth quarter that IT would have last year when he'd go nuts and he'd score 20 points in the fourth quarter, bring Boston back. I'm not saying he's going to do that consistently in Cleveland, but think back to Game 7 in the finals when LeBron defers to Kyrie Irving for the biggest shot in the history of Cleveland Cavalier basketball. There's not many superstars in league history that are going to do that. 
So in the fourth quarter, LeBron James may have the ball in his hands, but he's maybe making a pass to Isaiah Thomas in the corner or letting IT even create like he did with Kyrie. So I don't think it's going to be a chemistry issue. You throw him on a team with Kobe Bryant in his prime, it's going to be an issue with there being ball-dominant players. But with LeBron being as unselfish as he is and wanting to win another ring for his legacy, he'll do what it takes to get IT integrated. Another question pertaining IT before we move on. Um, who We don't have the film to watch. We don't have the games to dissect. But if you could just work with me, and let's go into kind of the future and maybe speculate a little bit. Does Isaiah Thomas fit like Kyrie Irving fit with LeBron? Or is this a different kind of point guard um, fit with LeBron there? I, I see... Look, Kyrie with the handles. I, I see, I mean, yeah, you say he deferred to Kyrie, but that's because Kyrie could really shake anybody off the dribble and get, and he's one of the best finishers. He's the most underrated finisher at mm. the rim in the NBA. That's what I, I would agree. Isaiah Thomas doesn't have that. I don't know that I'd I would call Kyrie <sighs> underrated in finishing at the rim. Everybody knows he can finish everything, but. And Isaiah Thomas gets to the rack at will. Um, obviously, one of the most shifty players um, in the NBA. Um, he, I, I don't know if he's going to lose a step with his injury. Obviously, very, very um, extensive there. But I, I, I think he's going to get to the rim and get to the ball. Yeah. So Isaiah Thomas is only five foot nine. Obviously, he's a very short player, but he scored twenty nine points a game last year, and he converted fifty eight point one percent of his shots within three feet of the basket, which puts him pretty much equal with John Wall, Russell Westbrook, and Kyle Lowry. So is he Kyrie Irving in terms of some of the ridiculous things that Kyrie can do, uh, putting English on the ball? No, but he can clearly create his own shot at 5'9", being able to score 29 points a game and finish at that rate in the paint. I don't think it's going to be an issue. Yeah, but you, you got, before we move on, I'm getting stuck here on Isaiah Thomas for some reason. You have to look at Isaiah Thomas's usage rate last season. That is going to diminish by, I would say, 5, 6, even maybe 7% because LeBron's got the ball. I, I, I don't think that you'll see the same usage rate that um, he, he saw in Boston. You're not going to see the same run. You're not going to see those um, easy pick and rolls. Maybe, I mean, Tristan Thompson's their best big. Al Horford was a mastermind in terms of pick, yeah, pick and pop. Love Kevin Love. Pick and pop screens. Kevin Love might be That's having true. the best year of his career. Yeah, yeah. That, that, I'll give you that. I'll give you that. Kevin Love will, will probably um, be a nice accented piece for for uh, Isaiah Thomas, but he's also looking for that corner three. I mean, I, Kevin Love is turning into a better Bosch for the Heat. So you look at last year, Kyrie's usage rate was 30.8% uh, mm. in Cleveland, and IT's was 34% in Boston, so it was higher. But even just the year before, IT's was only 296 uh, which was dead even with Kyrie, 29.5 in 2015. So it'll be a little bit of a drop-off for IT, but I don't think people realize how much Kyrie Irving had the basketball in his hands in Cleveland. He just wanted to be the clear-cut number one guy after that went to Boston. Yeah, unfortunately, our next category, um, I mean, we have to talk about guys like Jokic, guys like Blake Griffin, guys like even um, CP3. And unfortunately, uh, the next star to drop, that's, that's James Harden. Um, Mike Conley, I, sh I should have mentioned Mike Conley. Um, they come out with a report. Obviously, the, the Houston the Houston Rockets say in two weeks we're going to reevaluate the hamstring of James Harden. 
Guys, we've seen these two-week reports. It's never, and I repeat, never yeah. two weeks. The two weeks will come out, and they'll say, well, we'll give you a report in two weeks. Well, that's four weeks. That's a month. If We've seen this with Mike Conley now bleeding into two months. We Tim see, Hardaway. Tim Hardaway time. Jr. We saw it with Steph Curry. I mean, Steph Curry will we'll, we'll reevaluate in two weeks. He doesn't come back until over a month. So how does this affect the Houston Rockets right now? Because we got to see kind of like the Harden Rockets without CP3. Then we got to see the Harden CP3 Rockets and it's brilliant. But now we're going to get to see the CP3 Rockets without Harden. Guys, how does that um how does that matter with with uh maybe the top rankings between right there with Golden State Warriors and the Houston Rockets? They the Rockets had their 15 game winning streak. What what does that do to the chemistry and even um James Harden's uh, MVP race? Yeah, it's going to take a big hit on Harden's MVP race. In my opinion, he's going to be the favorite to win it this year. Um, going to be tough now being out two weeks at least at minimum with the hamstring injury. But I think they're going to miss um, the, the the fouls that he would just get in the game. He'd go free to throw, the, free yeah, throws. He, he'd go to the line 10 times a game almost, shooting about 20 free throws a game. So um, they're going to miss Harden big time with that. You know, it's interesting because you look back at last year in Houston with James Harden just being kind of a one-man wrecking crew, uh, just scoring at will and then kicking it out to guys like Anderson and Eric Gordon. And through 35 games, they were sitting at uh, 26 and nine. And then this year, an identical record through 35 games at 26 and nine. And Luke, like you mentioned, that's with CP3, without CP3. Uh, but Harden has been the one consistent piece in that. Mm-hmm. Now you take him out of that situation. You have Chris Paul, one of the few remaining true point guards in today's NBA, not a guy that's hunting his shot uh, and really likes to move the basketball. And it's going to be interesting to see how he fits in Mike D'Antoni's system. You know, they play at a rate where they just want to get threes as fast as they can, get shots as quick as they can. And CB3 is a guy that still likes to dribble the basketball a lot and hunt that best shot. So it'll be interesting to see if the team drops off a little bit with him handling the ball instead of Harden uh, predominantly. But I want to pose this question to you guys, uh, taking a historical look at, at Chris Paul while we're talking about him. Where do you have him ranking all-time amongst point guards? And let's say he carries this team through the Harden injury. They still stay at the top of the West. Uh, and even they can win a ring. What does that do for his legacy? I think if CP3 wins, wins a ring, he, he can be, he can be in, in, the, in the talks of the top three best point guards of all time. <laughs> I'm going. I'll, I'll say if he wins a ring, he can be put in that conversation. Right now, I'm putting him five, six area. Um, I think a ring does a lot to your um, legacy. I think, especially if he can do it in the age of the Golden State Warriors and the Cleveland Cavaliers, that will bolster his legacy and throw him easily into the top three um, best of all time. I mean, obviously, you're going to have, in my opinion, you're having Magic Johnson at one. That's a staple, um, and then extremely controversial but I'm saying LeBron James at two because I believe LeBron can play all positions um so if LeBron played point guard he would be the second best point guard and like Magic was LeBron at point guard so I you know what I'm not as high as on Chris Paul as you are I am a Chris Paul fan but top top three if he wins a ring no way um I'm saying he's breaking the top 10 right now and he'd probably break the top seven with a ring um, I, I don't think he's going to get over that hump, though. He's not, he's not going to get a ring in his time. I am a big Chris Paul fan, and I'm also a big opponent of the rings argument. Uh, so I don't think that rings have that big of an impact on a player's legacy. 
But I think that if he gets a ring, that will change how everybody looks at him. You know, people hold not making the conference finals against him right now. So say he gets a ring. I think he's the second best point guard that's ever oh, played the game of basketball. That's crazy. That's, yeah. Yeah. You've got Magic Johnson as a clear-cut number one. LeBron James is not a point guard, so he's not number two. Well, I could fill one then, in anyway. And then there are other people that you may want to put ahead of him. Maybe you make a case about Steve Nash. Steve Nash couldn't guard this table that we're sitting around right now. Absolutely abysmal defender, the most undeserving MVP in league history. Blasphemy. Kid couldn't shoot for half his career. Great player, big triple double guy. You don't sure, have to I'll shoot at point that. guard. I'll give him that. You he's, do not have to shoot at point guard. I'll give him that he's a great triple double threat, but he gets put up there and lumped up because he got a ring late in his career with Dallas. He doesn't have that ring. People do not put him up there. And if, again, if you're talking about rings, John Stockton never won the big one. I think Stockton yeah. and Chris Paul are pretty neck and neck. They're both very true point guards that were phenomenal defenders. People don't understand how good of a defender Chris Paul is. And John Stockton was a five time. Uh, all-defensive selection. He was a great defender. Chris Paul, seven-time all-defensive selection. Chris Paul takes care of the basketball, orchestrates unbelievable offenses. The biggest thing that's hurt him throughout his career is the injury bug. He doesn't get hurt. He stays healthy, or his teammates stay healthy. They're going to make runs throughout time. Who knows what would have happened with the Clippers if that team would have stayed healthy. I think he's the second-best point guard that's ever played the game. Wrong. He's the second. You're, we're talking about a player that should probably still be in a Lakers uniform, which is ridiculous. That's the thing. He goes to the Lakers and plays with Kobe Bryant and Powell. Like, he's got a he's ring. Already this got discussion a ring. is moot. Like, Absolutely. That doesn't change how good of a basketball player he is, whether or not David Stern vetoed that trade. I agree. He, he's got a ring or not. He would have probably more than one ring yeah. if he went to the Lakers. A question I like, I'm throwing a wrench in, okay? Um, while on this subject, what NBA player in today's NBA okay. legacy has changed the most by winning a ring? Who do you guys think? I think Eric and I have the same answer on this one. Yeah, I'm gonna have to go with Carmelo Anthony I'm on this. Give you a big old amen on that. <laughs> One of the purest scores in the NBA, Carmelo Anthony. Very underrated rebounder. <laughs> very underrated defender, in my opinion. So I'm gonna have to go with Carmelo Anthony. Okay, I love Carmelo twice as much as you. I will not make the case that he's a very underrated defender. He's just not as bad as people make him out to be. I will give you he's a very underrated. He's rebounder, a great low post defender. Carmelo Anthony is going to be the player that people look back at 20 years from now and are like, why did we hate that guy? Why did we never give him his due? Absolutely unbelievable score. He's not as selfish as people make him out to be. You watch the Knicks when they're at their worst. He'd give the ball up, and they would throw it right back to him. He was their only option. Anytime he's ever had help, he has Chauncey Belts in Denver. They go to the conference finals, and he puts on a duel for the ages with Kobe. Kobe, who never, ever... You know, he's this godfather of the NBA now talking to people. He was never dapping people back up then. He hated everybody. He builds a relationship with Carmelo that started on the back of that conference finals and then segues into the 2008 Olympics. And then you see the Knicks when he takes them to the one seed uh, when they ended up running into the Pacers in the postseason. Um, and that was just a defensive stalwart team in Indy. And it's like anytime he's ever had help, he's won. No, he doesn't have a ring, but he can score. He did win. And I think if he gets a ring, you know, OKC wins this year. I think people are. That's the only criticism of Carmelo Anthony is that he doesn't have a ring. You give him the ring, people don't have any reason to hate him anymore. Yeah, but going off the him being unselfish, that's so wrong because he took so much money in New York that they couldn't get a good team, and that's why they were so bad for so long I was because eight. they can't spend I was money on other just players. About like how he plays in, on the court, game. but still. You can throw that money in it. Not everybody's Dirk Nowitzki. You can't hold it against him that the Knicks front office was inept and paid him. Should he, could he have been more unselfish mon monetarily? Yes. 
but I was talking strictly how he played okay. on the court. Okay. I, I think I think we've we've Carmelo's taken his legacy has taken a hit due to those New York years. I think people forget that he was the only player on the Knicks for a while that could score a bucket. That's why his usage rate was out of the gym. That's why he shot all those all those um, shots. That's why he missed all those shots. Is because he was really the only player before Chris Tapps. I mean, they had Joakim Noah and Derrick Rose for one, I don't know, <laughs> 10 games maybe or whatever it was before one of them got hurt. Um, but here's why I think, you know, you talk about his legacy taking a hit. Look what happened when Paul George came back to Indy this year. When LeBron went back to Cleveland for the first time, these superstars make their returns I think wherever that, they were, that, this and is, they get hated. This is a completely unfair Carmelo, comparison. But here's why I say that. Carmelo comes back to New York, yeah, he got traded, just like Paul George, and they still loved him. They give him the video package, they give him the ovation, and the Knicks fans loved Knicks fans did understand and appreciate what he did for that there's team. A, there's a weird... It is not his no, fault Phil no, Jackson put no. nobody around him. There's a weird dichotomy that's going on in New York, and that was the Phil Jackson versus Chris Stapps and Mello and... Uh, they would kind of say that Phil just ruined everything. I think Melo kind of got a cop-out because of that. I'm not buying – I'm not picking up what you're putting down on that one. My player happens to be on the Thunder. His just name happens to be Russell Westbrook. I think if the Brody got a ring, that would <laughs> that would solidify him as – as as a, as a top ten point guard, and he would it would also solidify him as just the guy that can actually go after it and get on top. And what would it look like if he won a a, a ring, but he beat uh, Kevin Durant in the Western Conference Finals? Maybe a couple years down the road, maybe um maybe the the, the Golden State Warriors lose a couple players, or maybe due to injury. But Russell Westbrook, I think his legacy would just skyrocket after him winning a championship. Call me crazy, but I think Russ's legacy is more secure playing his entire career in Oklahoma City and never winning a ring. Because he's the guy that was that loyal to a franchise in an era where everybody leaves, where people go ring hunting at the end of their career, where a guy like Ray Allen was bouncing around. These guys go ring hunting. You see David West David doing West, it too. Yeah. If Russell Westbrook plays his entire career in Oklahoma City, he won an MVP there, he didn't bail when everybody else did, he signs this extension, he has an entire season where he averaged a triple-double, and he just continues to play balls to the wall, night in and night out, and give this franchise everything he has. I think his legacy is stronger than if he wins one or even two rings, maybe on the backside of his career with other superstars around him. No, see, I think it doubles down on his legacy that he chose to stay in OKC and grinded it out and got a championship without Kevin Durant or... Um, or, or anything in the past, I think it doubles down and makes his legacy just as uh, it makes it it makes it unbelievable because the fact that he did grind it out in those OKC years, he did sign those extensions when it wasn't popular, when none of the NBA stars were really doing that, and he stuck in a, in a, in a small market in Oklahoma City and he won a championship. I think that would be unbelievable for his legacy. All right. Well, speaking of Russ, the reigning league MVP, let's talk MVP here as we see James Harden is out. And it'll be, again, reevaluated in two weeks. As Luke said, that probably means he's going to miss three, four, maybe even five weeks. With him missing an extended period of time, does it become LeBron James' award to lose? Or will we see voter fatigue again prevent him from getting another ring? Are there other players that can sneak back into the race? Maybe Giannis. Uh, is Kevin Durant have a shot? Uh, what do you guys think? Who might be able to get into the MVP race here? I firmly believe, and rightfully so, even with James Harden healthy, this is LeBron James' award. Mm -hmm. It's been a LeBron James' award for 15 seasons, except for maybe the three or four seasons he was with Miami. Um, but regardless, he, um, he is the MVP. He is the most valuable player. And you talk about um, kind of voter fatigue. 
they, they, we got to be past that because we had voter fatigue last season. I agree. We had voter, voter fatigue the year before. He has got to get the MVP this year, especially with um, the injury going to James Harden. It just solidifies everything. The king will, will sit upon his throne once more. See, I'm with you spot on on that, Luke, and that's why I'm a big proponent of doing what college basketball does and change the name of the award to the most outstanding player because there's not a player in the NBA more valuable than LeBron. Since he's set foot in the league, he's been the most valuable player. And if you're just talking value, like look what's happened with the Pacers about Victor Oladipo. Is Vic the most outstanding player in the NBA? No, but his value is through the roof. So that's why I think uh, that you have to change the name of the award. But, you know, Eric, I'll throw these questions at you here. Can Giannis sneak back in the race? Or maybe even a guy like AD and Boogie, either playing on the same team, do they cancel each other out? Do you think it's LeBron's to lose? Does Harden still have a chance to get the MVP? Yeah, sadly, AD and Boogie, they're going to cancel each other out. Plus, they're just not even that, that good of a team yeah. sitting at 18 and 18, sitting at 500. I, I'm going to I'm gonna go with James Harden still. Okay. Average, he's going to score the most points this year. He's averaging 32.3, 9.1 assists. He's been very effective. Um, he, he's going to get it. I hope he's only out two weeks, so he's going to – maintain that MVP. I'm, the only thing I'm a little bit nervous about is that the fact that James Harden was runner-up last season, mm -hmm. is it like this 2017-2018 this season was like his year right. for the MVP, LeBron had his time. I mean, it can't, it's, it's, it's really blasphemy, the fact that he, um, that LeBron James didn't get um, the MVP last I'm gonna throw Oh my, he, Russell Westbrook averaged a triple-double. What yeah. more are you wanting? It's, you take I'm all, you, you take a, no. Russell Westbrook off that team and they don't make the playoffs. It's an anomaly. If I'm you take LeBron you. James off no. the off that team, no. they make the playoffs. And they might even make the Eastern Conference playoffs. No. Might even make the You switch the, them the finals. each team though? You put Russ on the Cavs and you put LeBron on the Thunder, the Thunder might beat the Rockets. Like look at the plus minus splits of LeBron James on the court versus off the court. It's insane compared to anybody else. But that was last year. You just can't you I'm, can't switch a player. I'm gonna I, I agree. I'm going to throw a name out here for you guys that I think, I'm not saying he's the most valuable player, but with the injury bug biting everybody else, I think he could find a way to sneak into the MVP race at the end of the year. I'm going to go with Jimmy Buckets, mm. playing now for the Timberwolves. Jimmy Butler uh, coming out of Chicago. You see the Timberwolves, at this time last year, they were 12-26. and 26. This year, 24-14. and 14. They're 12 wins better than they were last season and that's while having Andrew Wiggins shooting 43% from the field 33% from three and only 63% from the free throw line they sit at fourth in the west right and they're sitting at fourth in the west you add Jimmy Butler and yeah coach Tibbs comes in too but what Butler did at the start of the season defensively for that team he was only scoring about 15 points a game he was like I'm gonna take the other team's number one I'm not gonna be selfish here and I'm gonna lock down defensively kind of start creating a culture a little bit and then now you see his scoring bumped up to 21 and a half points a game, hauling in five boards and five assists. He's shooting about 48% from the field, 88% from the free throw line. If Jimmy Butler can be the best player on this Timberwolves team down the stretch, continue to score, maybe it gets bumped up to 23 points a game. And especially if Wiggins continues to struggle the way he does, again, if the title of the award is most valuable, I think you can make a case that Jimmy Butler deserves to be in the race. No, no they got no, Carl no. Anthony Towns, who's more deserving than Jimmy Butler. No way. No way. Yes. No way. No way. That's that's fantastic. No way is he more deserving. No. Eric's drinking the Kool Aid over so here. So you take out Carl Anthony Towns, and that team is terrible. I'm giving. Two, I'm giving um, Jimmy Butler the runner-up award for MIA. 
And so most people think that's missing in action. That's not missing in action. He's not going to get the MVP. He won't even be in the race here. But most improved attitude. I'm giving Paul George and Jimmy Butler a run for their money and most improved attitude. And LeBron or uh, Paul George, sorry, LeBron. Look, Paul George forgot how to play defense his last two years in Indy. Or <laughs> not forgot, but just didn't want to. Also, Jimmy Butler is playing the like you like you mentioned the unbelievable defense. He is playing lockdown. Defense. I believe I it has a lot that. to do with. Um, ex-coach Hoiberg really not knowing what he's doing or how to handle the Rondo way Butler Tibbs obviously comes back he's very familiar with um, with Jimmy Butler I'm giving him the most improved attitude award speaking of improvements let's talk about the new year resolutions I mean I'm I'm going to the gym twice a week this year and <laughs> I'm gonna start getting you know some muscles maybe lose 50 60 pounds get a six pack um, yeah I get a six pack the whole nine maybe run every morning um Al said he wanted to read 35 books this year and uh meet Shea Serrano <laughs> and then Eric is actually going to turn into uh Blake Griffin this year um so Let's just jump it off. Eric, What? pick a team, any team, maybe even a player on that team. You you choose. Um, what's a New Year's resolution for a specific team this year? Yeah, A team that I usually diss very often. It's going to be the Washington Wizards. And I'm going to say they need to have some consistency. They're beating some good teams, but they're also losing to some terrible teams. Um, in the month of December, they lost to Utah. They lost to the Clippers without Blake Griffin. What was it, 116-69? to 69? Yes, 116-69. Cool. to 69. 69 points. Next game, Beal goes for like 55, though. Yes, but, man, the Rockets had 92 at half earlier in the year. 69 points to end it. They lost to Brooklyn twice. Like, they're just losing terrible games like the Hawks and stuff like that. They have to have some consistency if they want to be a good team and um, coming for the playoffs. I am going to stick to my guns on this. It's something I said way back earlier on an episode of a podcast. And I'm going to go with the Milwaukee Bucks, and I'm going to say fire Jason Kidd. <laughs> right now they're sitting 19-16. and 16. They have the Greek freak in Giannis Antetokounmpo on their team, and they're just not getting it done. They go out and they acquire Eric Bledsoe, and they're still incredibly average. You've seen uh, very poor substitution patterns from Kidd. Not good play calls coming out of timeouts. This weird trapping defense. There's a reason that high school basketball teams trap and NBA teams don't. What he's doing is not working. He is not the basketball coach that they need. He's not going to put them over the top. If you look up Jason Kidd on Twitter, Bucks fans hate him. They blast him repeatedly. And I don't think that the team can get to where they want to go, especially with Giannis getting ready to enter his prime. With Jason Kidd at the helm, get rid of Jason Kidd if you're the Milwaukee Bucks. Well, you mentioned some some of the issue, the Bucks issues being average. Um, I'm choosing the Pelicans for my New Year's resolution, and this is why: they need to stop being average. <laughs> and you think I'm being um, facetious here? Listen to these stats, okay? The Pelicans are currently 18 and 18. They're nine and nine at home, and you guessed it, nine and nine on the road. Their last 10, yep, 5-5. Five and five. How many points have they scored per game? Yep, 111.2. Their opponents, 111.2. Most average team in the NBA, you have DeMarcus Cousins, Drew Holiday, um, Anthony, Davis. Anthony Davis, Rondo, if he can find some consistency in health terms, I mean... They, just, I mean, either get get better, put yourself in the eighth 
seventh or sixth spot in the Western Conference or sell off one of your guys, either AD or Boogie. Make a decision. Are you going to just continue to procrastinate, maybe finish with a 41-41 and record um, and just squeak into the playoffs or probably not make the playoffs at that record? Or do something. Just quit being so average with the, with the, with the front court that you have of um, DeMarcus Cousins and Anthony Davis. It's really driving me crazy. Problem is with that, what do you do if you're the Pelicans? Quit being average. Okay, yeah, I'd like to win $10 million this year too, but I, I can't make that happen. The Pelicans, sure, you've got Boogie and AD. What are you going to trade to get them help? And then you look at it, if you trade Boogie or AD, you're the general manager that traded Boogie or AD when they go put up 28-13 and 13 for another NBA team in the playoffs. So what do you do? They're just stuck between a rock and a hard place. Well, I mean, the only thing that's not average – in New Orleans is Alvin Gentry, and he's much, much below average. Yeah. Fire their head coach. What, what kind of leash does Alvin Gentry have for having miserable seasons with, with, with even having a star of Anthony Davis, not even sniffing a playoff race? Mm-hmm. Now they have yeah. two big front court stars, and they can't, they're just sitting at 18 and 18. So I think Alvin Gentry needs to go right now, find a, a coach that could fill in and give some energy. I mean, I, it's a little like middle season-ish, and it's very rare to find this kind of Hey, go um, get firing. Fisdale. Go get Fisdale. Pick up Fisdale and, get, and, and, and take that for data or something like that. <laughs> um, the next part of the podcast is the best segment of the podcast, and that is the face-off. The face-off is between Luke and Alec, and Eric will be the judge for this one. Eric, jump us off. All right, we're going to start with Al on this one. What has been the biggest letdown of the NBA this year? Player, coach, team, anything. Biggest letdown. I think I'm going to have to stick with the Milwaukee Bucks sitting at 19-16 and 16 and 6th in the East. They had Giannis making this jump from a very good player to a superstar. They go out and trade for Eric Bledsoe. They've got Malcolm Brogdon, uh, who was a... Rookie of the year last year, and they have Chris Middleton back healthy. I know they're missing Jabari, but I think Middleton is a bigger piece than Jabari, and they're only uh, up one win in the win column from last year. They're just not getting it done. Giannis came out like a bat out of hell to start the year and has kept up a pretty strong performance, and they're just not winning games at the at the standard that they should be, especially in the East. The Bucks are letting down. What's mm-hmm. their record? 19-16. and 16. Wow. Anyway. Um, <laughs> I'm going to go with... And I'm going to change your verbiage here a little bit to disappointment. I'm really disappointed that we didn't see a healthy Blake Griffin all year. I'm really disappointed that we didn't see Gallinari, Milos Teodosic. I'm, I'm just, the biggest letdown for me was that first week of the NBA season, all the hype kind of they had, like the Cinderella story. It was the first two weeks, if you will, of the Los Angeles Clippers. And they were playing really well together. The, the absence of CP3 didn't seem to matter because... Patrick Beverly was being a dog, and we remember him going up against Lonzo Ball and kind of just putting him in his place, and then Beverly goes down for a, a large chunk of the season. And then there goes Blake Griffin and Gallinari. And so um, biggest letdown for me is going to be just the Clippers season as a whole. I'm not, I'm not really um, – I didn't have high expecta- expectations, but I was kind of going to ride the, the story of the Los Angeles Clippers and Doc Rivers over there. See, that was the thing. The difference is there were high expectations for the Bucks. Some people were saying they could be second, third. They're 19 East. and 16. They're, the they're 19 and 16. They're sitting there at sixth or seventh. And that's the thing. The Clippers, they have no control over that disappointment. Guys got hurt. The Bucks have total control here and are letting down. Mm. I disagree. I think they're, they're a middling team that's may, maybe, even, maybe even playing better than expected. That's insane. 
They went out and traded for Eric Bledsoe. Giannis takes another jump. Middleton is healthy. And Brogdon now in his second season, they're only one win better than they were last year. Three games above 500. It's hard to say it's a letdown. Next question. All right, second question. Luke, this one's going to be geared to you for first. Who will win the Defensive Player of the Year? Defensive Player of the Year, unfortunately, my guy, the claw, he's not in contention this year. I'm going with Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant has the most is leading um, the league in blocks per game. Right. Well, I'm sorry, he's in second behind say, Miles Turner. Behind he's Miles Turner. Um, but if Miles keeps playing the way he is, Miles might not even be top three or top ten um, in blocks this year. Um, I'm going with Kevin Durant. He is, he's just, he stepped up his game so much on the defensive end with those blocks, with those long arms, the steals, help defense even on the backside. He's really helped the Golden State Warriors not, um, not miss some of the injuries or even the length of like the, the JaVale McGee's and, and Draymond Green missed some time and Kevin, and Kevin Durant really stepped into that role. I've been really impressed. All right. What about you, Al? Yeah, I didn't think Luke was going to sell his soul to the snake that is KD there. I'm going to go with Paul George, he's leading the NBA in steals and deflections as well. And Luke referenced his most improved attitude, whatever award that is. But you see PG, sure, he still whines at officials uh, when he doesn't feel that he got a foul call. But one thing he's really embraced with OKC this year uh, and sacrificing some of his shots and some of the isolation looks that he had is he's flat out turned into a lockdown defender uh, he's always been that, but he took nights off in the past, whereas this year you've seen him just night after night after night getting the guy's shorts and just lock them up. Uh, see him do it repeatedly with guys that are coming in putting up big numbers. Uh, saw Victor Oladipo here in PG when he was guarding him, held Vic to one of seven shooting and two turnovers. Saw James Harden. Yeah, he put up 29 and had 12 assists, but he shot seven of 18 from the field. PG guards Harden better than anybody in the NBA does. He's repeatedly locked down superstars. He's leading the NBA in steals and deflections. Paul George, the your defensive player of the year. I like how you use my MIA stat there. I think that's going to become a thing. <laughs> All right, last but not least, Luke, you're going to answer this one first. What, who is the most underappreciated player? I think this one goes without a doubt. Other than um, he has been getting the All-Star nods. And I, I believe it's Kawhi Leonard. I honestly believe it's Kawhi Leonard. In a small market, San Antonio, I think just the machine that is Kawhi Leonard, the going like he's gonna do what Pop says. Like the perfect example is right now. He's not doing he's not playing back to backs, not because he's not healthy, but because he's in San Antonio. He's not playing over like eighteen minutes, not because he can't, and not because he's not healthy, he is because he's in San Antonio. He just overlooked his defensive ability. Defense isn't flashy or defense isn't fun to watch. Um I'm, I'm going with Kawhi Leonard just because he's not going to come, even in the postgame, he's not going to show you anything interesting. He kind of just monotone, runs through it, killing the cornrows game, and he'll be back next game putting up, you know, 18, 9, and some steals. I think it's a very obvious answer for this one, and it's a very Homer. obvious disagreement from you. It's Damian Lillard. Dame is a two-time All-Star in his career, 2014 and 2015. 2016, he was All-NBA second team, and the dude didn't even make the all-star game. He's got a series-winning shot uh, to back him up against Houston uh, in game six when he hit the three over Chandler Parsons. His career, he's averaging 23 a game. Right now, he's averaging 25 points a game, five boards, 6.4 assists. Uh, he's had to be thrust into a leadership role after LaMarcus Aldridge left, and he's totally embraced that. Brought guys like Yusuf Nurkic that Denver wanted no part of anymore into the mix and seen a totally new Nurk. 
Uh, Damian Willard is definitely the most underappreciated player. All right, Eric, judge, jury, executioner, let us have it. Who's taking <laughs> home this week's faceoff? Yeah, I'm going to have to go with uh, you on this one, Al. Um, unfortunately, I had high expectations for the Clippers, but they can't really control the injury bug that just decimated their entire team. Um, and then secondly, PG has been so unselfish this year, um, leading the league in, in steals. I like that. And then Damian Lillard, clear-cut, most underappreciated player. Al, I'm going to have to go with you on this one. Real quick question. You really think that Paul George has better, been better than Kevin Durant on the defensive end this year? Um, I think that they play two different roles when it comes to that. Um, obviously, Andre Roberson, they um, have him going against like James Harden and everything like that. But Paul George has taken his role. Paul become, George doesn't guard their best player. And Kevin Durant doesn't guard their best player. Predominantly, yes, sir, he does. They still have Draymond Green on the court. Okay, what? Who, who protecting the rim? Zaza Pachulia? No, no. I, I, I really – I think you could give him maybe one and three. I still think Dame is not that underappreciated. He missed some all-star games. He got snubbed, sure. But cool. I'm stopping. So then he's underappreciated. I think – yeah, but in terms Coy of – Leonard's getting defensive player of the, of the year. In terms of popularity – well, popularity mean underappreciated. Yeah, uh, but I think it plays a big part. Everyone loves Kawhi Leonard. Popularity they mean, love, like was... when LeBron James was playing in Miami, everybody hated him. Nobody underappreciated him. Popularity doesn't mean anything. No, I think it means I think it plays a large part. And Dame's taking over Oregon. That's fine. He's taking over Oregon. He's still not making the All Star game. He's finally yeah, getting it this he's year. Getting, yeah, but I think there are different different opinions there. Well, hey, I believe that makes me undefeated in face-offs, by the way. So. <laughs> let's head into the Pacers segment. Um, we have some Twitter questions that we're going to be bringing you. Uh, the first question, guys, I'd like to pose to you, um, coming from a Twitter user. Should, should Joe Young get more minutes in the Pacers rotation? Absolutely not. Oh, come on. Yes. He is a spark that the Pacers need off the bench um, with Victor Oladipo. A spark that runs out there and can't Eric, guard Eric, a freaking I'm pole. 100% positive if I stand on the right wing – and throw you the ball on the block with Joe Young on your back, you score every time. I don't care how many threes you can hit. He is hit. a defensive you liability. Cannot, I cannot, will agree with it's that. It's not even a defensive liability. It is a nightmare letdown liability, and you cannot be that big of a liability no. on one end of the court. Joe Young, the best thing that he could do is go play in Europe for a higher-paid contract, make millions instead of hundreds of thousands of dollars on his contract, and be revered and loved and be the best player on his team or he can sit in seat 13 for the rest of his career in the NBA. And yeah, go be a Pierre Jackson somewhere. Uh, he's going to be an Aaron Brooks, in my opinion. Who sits there, who rides a pine? But also, in his prime, Aaron Brooks played. Aaron Brooks on the tail end of his career. That's true. Yeah, and Joe Young is also very, very young. Joe Young is at a point where he's running out of time on his rookie contract and still can't get some minutes. He, if he doesn't get him now, he's never going to. He will, he will not find a contract post the Pacers. He is a tremendous scorer, yeah. which I think teams tremendous are going to give him a chance. Yeah. Do you Dude, understand he, how he, many people can score the basketball, I understand though, that. Like across I, yep. the world? He just yeah. had a career high of 20 points. He can score the basketball. There are people all over Europe that can score he the He cannot defend Alex Computer. And he's a point <laughs> guard, and he really can't create either. Yeah, so. I, I mean, I, we're going to have to agree to disagree, but I think the Pacers need that spark, or other teams need that spark coming off that bench, that scoring that most teams lack. Next question. We've, see a, we've, we've seen month by month, unfortunately, I hate saying this because I didn't want this to become true because it became true last year when we wanted to space and pace the whole nine. 
We have dropped in pace every month. We, we started at 103. Three months later, we're at 96th in possessions per game. Um, why is our pace lagging? Is it due to injury, or is Nate McMillan not capable of, of was, actually coaching a pace? I was going to say, I think you just got to follow that question with another question of, is Nate McMillan capable of coaching a team with pace? You saw in Portland his, in Seattle his teams were just plodding up and down the court, up and down the court, and he's never played with pace. And then last year... They were going to run, they're going to run, they're going to run. They don't play with pace. And then this year you bring in Vic, and at the start of the year they're running, and it's great. Oh, my, they're coming out and scoring 130 points in the opener. They're going to run, and that lasts for a couple months. Even before Vic goes down, the pace went away. And I just think it boils down to the fact that I don't believe Nate McMillan is capable of coaching a team that can play with pace. I'm gonna have I to think go- it has to do – sorry, Eric. I think I mean, it has to do a lot with, with, with Vic going down and Darren Collison's – um, knee injury. injury that nobody talks about. I think maybe we're not ca- ca- we're not capable right now to play at the pace we started off the gate out, and we're gonna it's, we're, our record's gonna suffer for it. But I don't think Nate McMillan's not capable. I think he's got to really. I mean, we're in the we're in the lo- the lag of the season. We're starting to get in the mid where you know get, teams are just kind of losing to teams they shouldn't, and teams that shouldn't beat teams are beating teams, and you get tweeners and you kind of get trap games off the back of a the back to backs, and um, so I don't know. I think we're just in a lull right now. We need Victor Oladipo back. We need Miles Turner playing. Um, Really, where he's been expected to play and kind of haven't lived up to those expectations this season, in my Here's opinion. Here's why I will say that Nate McMillan is not capable of coaching this team. Nate McMillan in his career is 539 and 510. That's a 514 winning percentage. You know what the Indiana Pacers record is right now through recording this? 19 and 18 for a 514. <laughs> I'm going to have to agree with you. It's with Nate, Nate McMillan, but I think it's because of the lack of rotation. Um, we don't have the depth as many of other teams do. Maybe it's because of the injuries. Glenn Robinson the third not being able to come back. Um, I, I'm gonna have to go with the depth. Yeah, only playing eight guys in the rotation right now. That is kind of an indictment of Nate. In his defense, something I don't do often. Gr three has been out. When he comes back, they'll have nine guys to play. But definitely, they don't have uh, a lot of guys to trot out right now. That could be a big impact on the pace as well. I don't see the Timberwolves arguing, although they play at a lollygag pace. <laughs> they don't. They, I don't see their players arguing. They're playing upwards of thirty plus minutes every night, and Tim, playing close to forty. Tibbs is running them like a dog. Tibbs is a drill sergeant, and a guy like that's the thing with Jimmy Butler. Jimmy Butler craves that, that. and loves it. And some players they don't want any part of that. I just think it's Victor Oladipo wants a part of that. In my I opinion. think it's kind of working out there. So. Let's talk about the acquisitions. Mm-hmm. Okay, I want to talk about the three main ones. Victor Oladipo, mm-hmm. Bojan Bogdanovic, yeah. and Damantas Sabonis. Yeah. Um, where are we at with those guys? Um, let's just talk about, you just pick one or pick all three. Let's talk about those acquisitions. Now that we're, I have a, some film on those guys. Everybody loves Vic, so I'm going to go away from Vic here, and I'm going to talk about Bojan Bogdanovic. He made one of the worst plays in league history. History, yes. <laughs> not in terms of lasting impact or it was in the playoffs, but in terms of just this play was your jaw just dropped open. Off Middle him. school players would against, not make that play. Against Boston when he threw the GCA. ball to Terry Rozier and Rozier runs through the passing lane for a game-winning dunk. There's a good chance all three of us steal that pass. He threw it off the rafters and things like the old <laughs> Now, Nelson none of us dunk that. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But from that moment on, Pacers fans have betrayed Bojan Bogdanovic. 
He got blasted on Twitter. People are going nuts. Oh, and then it coincides with the shooting slump. And you, oh, if he can't make shots, get him off the floor, cut him. He sucks. He's trash. Lighten him up. Okay, this year Bogdanovich is shooting 47% from the field and 40% from three. Last year when he went to Washington, who fawned all over him, he was this huge acquisition for them, he only shot 46% from the field and 39% from three. So his numbers are even up from last year when he was In this incredible piece. And yeah, it coincides with the slump. He comes into Indy, he shoots lights out, probably at an unsustainable pace, and people go nuts over him. Now he's going through a slump. It's the same thing. Pacers fans hated C.J. Miles. When your role is a shooter, you're not going to go four for five every game. There are going to be nights where you don't make shots, but even if his shot's not falling, you can't take him off the floor because of how he spaces the floor. Teams have to guard him. Yeah, I want to talk to I want to talk about Demontis Sabonis, but I will mention something about Bojan is the fact that he's an underrated dribbler you know, off off the dribble. I mean, he's not like. He, he let's just say he's blown out my expectations of him actually finishing at the rim. He doesn't he do it often. Coast to coast against Detroit at the half and lays it in. I would have never thought he's going coast to coast. Right. He does some things you're like, wow, he's not just a shooter. Right. I mean, my for opinion, a small forward, I'd hope he'd be able to do that. But not that that wasn't zero Pacers fans' expectation him no, coming agreed, from, agreed. from And from I think also, I'm not saying he's good. But he's also exceeded expectations defensively. I agree. Effort-wise, for yeah. sure. I mean, he's giving us a 1,000% on defense. So my take on Bojan, Pacers fans, don't get down on him because he's in a slump where he made a bad pass. I mean, it's been a pretty long slump of the entire month of December. And look at what his numbers are still at. And he'll be okay. I mean, he, he, had, a, he had a hot start. I'll give him that. But it's the law of averages. Boy, yeah. isn't it refreshing to have a Pacer player on the roster currently that you know can get rebound? I'm not saying that DeMontis Sabonis is a guy that's good. you can just plug in and play good defense because he's struggled on the defensive end. We've seen that. We've, we have two quality center centers that could be centerpieces that are young in the future that really struggle on the low post. But um, I like DeMontis Sabonis. I like, I mean, he's a double-double machine when he's getting starters minutes. He's not going to get starters minutes, and that's not his role right now. It's, that's completely fine. I like his mid-range shot. Um, I like his ability to play in the pick and roll, obviously, with Lance Stevenson right now. Oh, yes. Um, it's a beautiful thing. It's kind of poetry in motion, almost what <laughs> Kevin Serafin had last season with um, with Lance Stevenson. Defensively, he's got to improve, but, man, it's so refreshing to know that if you need a player that's going to go in there and give you eight, nine rebounds a game, if he's playing starter minutes, DeMontis Sabonis will do that. Dude, the man cannot catch a foul call. Have you guys noticed that yeah. this year? Yeah. He will just beg for calls, and then he's going to get a foul on him the next Next court, he does so. he does struggle with foul with fouls, yeah, big struggle. But I'm gonna go with Vic, kind of going away from all you guys, and very unpopular opinion right here. I think he's trying to do too much. Uh, Eric, I'll agree with you on that unpopular opinion. I think that Vic has been trying to do a little too much, but I don't think it's his fault. We just touched on how the Pacers' pace has changed, and when we're playing uh, at such a fast pace, Victor Oladipo is such an athletic player and explosive and we saw the shape he got into this offseason and all the work he put in things were coming naturally and just in a flow for him and he was getting easy looks whereas now he's trying to get those same shots mm -hmm. but as the team slowed down been more in the half court which when we were playing a fast pace we saw we weren't a very good half court offense no, yeah. and now we're not running as much and he's still trying to get these shots some Every, of the all the pacers dribble, looking at him yeah. mid-range looks are contested so i think that uh i would agree he's forced a little bit but i don't think it's his fault but hey here we are, the Pacers sitting 19 and 18 at this point in the season. It's the exact same record they had last year with Paul George on the team, this top 15 player in the NBA. They ship him off for spare parts. This trade gets panned, and the Pacers are going to be one of the worst teams in the NBA, right? 
dead wrong. So I got to be happy with where the Pacers are sitting right now that. as Pacer fans with an exciting team to watch and hopefully an exciting stretch ahead leading into the postseason. Hey, thanks for tuning in to the Ninth Man NBA podcast. We've made some exciting news. We're going to have Grant Afseth of IndianaSportsCoverage.com. He covers the Pacers for that website. Um, he also is the editor for Miles Turner's personal website. He, we're going to have him on the podcast here coming in January, February. We also have an editor for The Ringer doing an email um, interview for us. Stay tuned with Episode 6 going to be posted, obviously, now, and then Episode 7 coming soon.